Oh, you're here. Good. <laughs> I see you there. Good evening. How's everybody doing tonight? It's good to be with you. I, I do care how you're doing, but it's rhetorical. But I do care. I'm thrilled to see you. Word of God says that we're in a war. We didn't choose it. It's not a shooting war, at least not the way we think of shooting wars. It's a war of ideas. Satan's arrows are aimed at us, and the only way we defeat them is with the shield of faith. And um, <clears throat> a lot of you are battle-scarred right now. I know a lot of you are struggling. I mean, every one of you is struggling with something. Some of you are struggling with the struggle of your life right now. Some of you are struggling with um, a, a, a struggle of your life that's been going on for years. But all of us are carrying a cross for our Savior because he told us to. We're good disciples of Jesus Christ, and we recognize that part of our lot in this life is to suffer for his sake. As Paul says, to make up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ, which is hard to imagine, but that's the way Paul talks about our sufferings. And so as we take a moment tonight for silent prayer, I want you to consider uh, your spiritual life, your walk by the Spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ according to the Word of God, and um, where it is, take some stock, self-evaluate. Take a few seconds before you and God to do that. Maybe you've been doing that all day, and so, you know, we're just now catching up with you. But it is the end of a work day. And uh, I think it's a very valuable thing to remember why we assemble. We're here to grow in the Word so that God can make us fit and use us for His works. We're here to grow in the Word so that then we, that we then apply it in the works that He's prepared for us. So this is a refueling, rearming moment. And um, sometimes we have to just set the crisis aside and just be enveloped by the word. I think you should do that every day. The Lord Jesus had an ongoing labor of love for his 33 plus years of ministry on earth. And very often we see in the, in the midst of intense ministry challenges, he would just take time to be with his father. We need that. And... Um, when you take stock in yourself, I'm not just saying look for your sins and then name them, but we do need to do that too. Where have I fallen short? Don't give myself, I'm not going to be like Adam, give myself a pass and say, well, the woman made me do it. Or like the woman, and well, the snake made me do it. I'm going to say, no, I did what I did. I'm thinking wrongly or whatever the sin pattern is. Take it to God and we're promised forgiveness and cleansing. And that's in a fellowship sense for, uh, for service, to make us fit for service. So let's take a moment for silent prayer and uh, engage our God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It doesn't change. The meaning is stabilized, and yet we change every time we come to your word because you're raising us, because you're more and more enabling us to put on Christ. You're developing us into the very likeness of your son, a privilege we could never earn or deserve. It's always your grace. And now, Father, we want to benefit from your grace and your word, for as the Apostle Paul has said, eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man all that you prepared for those who love you. God, we love you. We want to benefit from these things, from the wisdom of your word tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Spirit as our teacher, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
The series, for those of you who are new to this, is Christian spirituality. Tonight we're talking about the concept of spiritual maturity and spirituality. Spiritual Christian maturity and spirituality. And the reason we're doing that is because the main passage where the word spiritual is used in the New Testament by Paul is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through chapter 3, verse 4. That section of Scripture is kind of Paul's summary passage on what the spiritual life looks like in so many different aspects. And you could spend a year on that little chunk of Scripture because so much is being done. And tragically, when we do our Through the Bible in a Year reading, we give it a little cursory reading and say, oh, there's a lot going on there. That's pretty dense. And then we claim Second Peter 3.16 and say that is difficult to understand like a lot of the things Paul writes. because There's a lot going on. And so we've spent a lot of time on this passage, and we've concluded some things like the unbeliever does not want the word. He doesn't welcome the things of God from the apostles. That begins with the gospel that Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross for your sins. That's foolishness to the world. And so the, the unbeliever doesn't welcome the things of God, and he can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised or spiritually discerned. And I think the word understand needs to be carefully nuanced. The unbeliever can understand what the Scripture says He cannot know God through the scriptures. He can't know them. He can't have the relationship with God that you and I have when God makes the word clear to us. And that's that's what's going on in the first section there. Then there's the concept of the spiritual versus the soulish man, the person who doesn't have the spirit, not the Holy Spirit necessarily, but the spirit that's from God. And we also have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. And so, as I said, it's a complicated passage. Let's review it real quick because I want to grab a theme that doesn't necessarily jump out at you when you read it cursorily in English, but you're going to see it as we walk through. So in verse 6, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Let's see. Verse 6. Let's just get back to the English. This is my translation, and we've worked through it. However, we do speak. Now, the world says the word is foolishness, and I've resolved to know nothing among you, so Christ in him crucifies what Paul says now. Okay, now, however we do speak, what we speak is wisdom in the evaluation of the mature. What he means by among the mature is the mature believer knows that what I'm saying is wisdom. He has the appetite for it. He has the discernment for it. I'm going to serve you a a, a really good filet, Mignon. I'm going to serve you a really uh, well-seasoned and perfectly seared steak. And the baby doesn't know what to do with it. And the world hates it. But you, the mature, should appreciate it. You, do, you will see for what it is. That's what he's going to say. We speak wisdom, and that's your topic, wisdom, the things of God. Now, it is not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the concealed or hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages to our glory. Now, the question is, we and our, who's he talking about? I think he's talking about the apostles. And there's no such thing as a New Testament scriptures in these days, except that Paul's writing some of it right now as he writes this. So we have the whole revealed word of God in 27 books of the New Testament, okay? And that material from the apostles is, we'll find out what he's talking about. The the word revealed from Christ in the power of the Spirit through the apostles. He ordained before the ages to our glory, which none of the rulers of this age have known. For if they had known the wisdom, um, it, 
if they'd known what, what it is. It, Greek, I often won't tell you what the objects of the verb are, even the verb sometimes. It's understood in context. If they had known this wisdom, but they didn't, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the rulers of the world had known, if the, the really smart people on TV or the people in elected positions or if the people in charge of all the big corporations, if the really important people, not the peasants walking around with, a, with degrees from Jerusalem University or whatever who are, are now... Uh, calling themselves little instead of the one you asked for. That's Paul, the little one. Instead of Shaul, you've asked. And here I am. See, Saul of Tarsus is, he's nobody that's impressive. And real, real, real quick, remember in Corinth, the reason we have this really challenging section of Scripture, historically, what happened? Why did Paul give us this? Because the Corinthians had had other teachers come through that were more impressive than Paul and not as authoritative. They didn't have the word of God as apostles of Jesus Christ, but they're impressive because they're speaking the lingo. They've got the rhetorical skill. They're polished. They're fancy. And we don't really like Paul. We like this other thing. And Paul is doing his best in this section, really through 1 and 2 Corinthians, to get them to listen to him again. Remember what this is. This is the word of God, and it is as though God is chasing us with a, with a billion-dollar check saying, it's in your name, S- sign it, deposit it, it's for you and the world. And in this case, Christians, and I think of the Corinthian-American world of Christendom, I think, I think we're running from the check and saying, I don't want the riches you have for me in your word. That's, that's the Bible. I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to study that hard stuff. I want something that appeals to me. And what we find out, see, if you get an appetite for the Bible, you'll find, an ap- you'll find a, a satisfaction of a hunger you didn't even know existed. And that's where he's going to go. Mature hungers for this, the deep things of God. But the world doesn't, and the carnal church doesn't. And that doesn't mean they're not believers in context. The, the point of that is they need to grow up, not that they need to believe in Christ, but they need to continue in the faith that they have begun in. So he's contrasting himself to the world, his ministry to the wisdom of the world. So when you get to verse 9, but just as it is written, what things the eye has not seen, ears have not heard, into the heart of man have not entered, are these things that God has prepared for those who love him. And uh, it says just as it's written, and he means you can summarize a lot of Old Testament scripture to say this. There is no prophet that said these words in our 39 books of the Old Testament. You can look for it. Your Bible might put a cross-reference, but it's not in there, as I've told you before. What's he saying? He's saying that the things, the wisdom from God, the things we, the apostles, have to give you is what he's talking about. I'll tell you why, why in verse 10. These things of the word of God, the spiritual information, are better than you can imagine. It's, it's a richness that you can't even fathom. Now, I like to play this game, don't you? I like to play with my sons. Have you ever heard of anything that you'd really like to have? Have you ever seen anything you'd really like to have? We get the lust of the eyes. We hear tell of wonderful things, the details of life that we might enjoy. Have you ever imagined a relationship with the opposite sex that would be so wonderful? Have you ever imagined a relationship with just friends or children that if you could just have it this way, it would be wonderful? Well, see, if you can think of it, it's not as good as what Paul is offering. Isn't that great? So we, we made the right decision by showing up tonight. 
We really did because there's nothing greater. Now, I take that on faith because sometimes I don't feel that way. And, um, you know, dusty Bibles do exist, and it's tragic, but, um, but it's our loss. So he says in verse 10, but to us, that's the apostles, God has revealed them through his spirit. God has revealed these things. And now remember, in context, wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God, the things that Paul is trying to teach them. This isn't heaven. I heard a sermon the other day that this is about heaven. He's not talking about stuff you can't have yet. He's talking about a relationship with God now through his word. And that's the whole point of the discussion. Otherwise, it doesn't fit in context. He's telling them to listen to him. This is all just Paul saying, listen up. I've got the goods. You need to hear what I have to say. So he's trying to encourage them with a theology of what the word is. For the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men has known the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? So also the things of God who is known except the spirit of God. Now I'm going to go through, remember we've done this five or six talks through this passage. So um, I'm not going to cover the details of why we conclude how we do. But um, through this whole thing, I just want to highlight what I've done on the screen is the things He's talking about the things, the wisdom that's hidden in a mystery. It's the apostolic revelation that Jesus has left us here to learn and to live and to suffer along as we apply the word to our lives and trusting God and relating to him and loving him that way and enjoying fellowship with God as we do. So then, but the spirit of the world we've not received, but the spirit that is from God so that we may know the things by God freely given to us. Which things? Things, I should have put, I should have highlighted it. Things we speak. See, the whole thing through the passage is the things. And it's hard because you don't have that word in Greek. You have pronouns. And we translate these pronouns as things. It's the content of what he's saying. In other words, God wanted you to have to meditate on this passage to know exactly what Paul means by it. But it's very evident when you see it in its whole, in its whole structure. These things we speak not in taught, human, uh, taught of human wisdom words. That's the Greek order. Not in taught of human wisdom words. Isn't that a great way to describe what the world has to offer? Taught of human wisdom. That's not what we're talking about. If the man can think of it, it's not good enough. This is something that God alone has and he wants to give it to you. He's got a protocol way through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has with the Father sent the Holy Spirit to abide in us and now the apostles have have by the Spirit being equipped with this truth. And as they teach these things, the Spirit of God uses them in us to conform us to Christ. And that's what the Word of God is. Now, maybe this is foreign to you. Maybe this is something you never heard before. But I'll tell you what, most people haven't. We don't live in a mature Christendom today. We live in a kid church. I mean, the church of, of the Lord Jesus in the United States in our culture is very, very immature. And working through something logical like this and having to really work like the, how many different ways does he use the word spirit or pneuma in this one passage at least three maybe four different ways that are very common in in first century greek he uses that word and you have to do the work to think it through and so when we do the work how many people actually sit and learn it and see how this all works right and i'll just cite first peter 2 Long for the pure milk of the word like a newborn baby. That's the command. Long for it. Want it. Wait, Peter, are you commanding my appetite? Yeah, I'm telling you to want it. Want the pure milk of the word like a newborn baby. Second Peter 3, 
the, the last verse of, of Peter's writings, but grow, he commands growth, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Did you know, hey you, you right there, did you know that growing spiritually is a command from the apostles of Jesus Christ, therefore from Jesus? Did you know Jesus, hey you, hey, did you, talking to my kids, did you know that Jesus commands you to grow spiritually, commands it? You're already tracking, okay, good. Most Christians in America have no idea about this. Well, we're just over here to worship. I was just, well, you are, but worship means do it his way. Then he says, this is what we're to be about. And um, you can't skip steps either. You can't say, well, uh, I'm all of a sudden mature. It's a time thing we'll find out at the end of the chapter, which we're getting to quickly. But not in taught of human wisdom words, but in taught of Holy Spirit words. So, we, the apostles, are speaking these things in words that are taught by the Holy Spirit. So the apostles are speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we now are learning and also speaking and growing in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, John chapter 15, Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. I don't think we in the church accomplish anything of worth that pleases God unless the Holy Spirit empowers us to do it. I really believe that. It's, it's very humbling. He's not interested in my energy, my effort, my, my, what I bring. He, he's going to use what he wants of me, but it's going to be his work. You know what else? It's kind of scary because I'm not going to make this happen. He's going to make this happen. Later on, Paul will say, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was what? Causing the growth. God does this. So good. So what we really land on with that truth about it's really the Spirit of God and His work is rest. doesn't mean I don't work. doesn't mean I don't throw myself into the labor. It means that I can re- relax about the outcomes. Who, do, does everybody know somebody that needs to relax? <laughs> Y'all know me. We really need to rest in our Creator and take some time to, to tell Him that. I'm resting in you and do it. Because he is in, in control of the outcomes. He tells us what to do, and then we do what he tells us. But we don't want to ever pretend like we're holding the target at the end. You're, you do your job down at the firing line, and then he'll control the outcome. And here the Holy Spirit teaches these things. With spiritual words, spiritual ones combining. That's one of the hardest things to figure out what he's talking about. Two interpretations. Spiritual words is very clearly the first thing. The spiritual ones is either spiritual thoughts or spiritual people. And I contend, because of what's going to happen in verse 14, that it's spiritual people. Because he's now going to talk about spiritual people. This is how he introduces the spiritual man. So the spiritual words that are taught by the Holy Spirit are now being combined with spiritual men and women. Verse 14, But the soulish man does not welcome the things of the Spirit of God. Sukikos, your Bible translates it natural. It's one of the great mistranslations in world history and from Greek into English. Natural, that word is phusis, if we're going to bring the natural from the English, a Greek word for nature, phusis. Doesn't nature teach you it's a dishonor for man to have long hair? That's, that's 1 Corinthians uh, 11. But here, um, he's not saying natural. He's saying sukikos, suke, the soul, soulish. The soulish man, this is a man that doesn't have the born-again spirit that he mentioned in uh, verse 12. The soulish man does not welcome the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he's not able to know them because they're spiritually discerned. But what about the spiritual? 
but the spiritual man discerns all things. I should have highlighted all things. It's still talking about the things of God that, that Paul is teaching them to embrace and to welcome and to love. The spiritual man discerns all things, but by no one is himself. He by no one is himself discerned. Now, my Bible, would, my New American Standard said, um, what did it, it didn't say discern. It said something else. Appraised. I don't think that's a good word for our time in which we live. Appraised, it means I'm assessing value pretty much. But discern um, is a little broader term, and it, I think it's a better use of um, English for the Greek there. Nevertheless, you could, appraise is okay, but I don't, I don't like it as much. For, he who, for who has known the mind of the Lord, who will instruct or teach him? But we have the mind of Christ. And we've talked about the mind of Christ, and I want to get into, by the way, I think the mind of Christ there is the content that Jesus thinks in the spiritual life that he's given you that you're thinking it. The content and the spiritual life that you are able to think God's thoughts after him, as Kepler once said. And so uh, I think that's what he means by the mind of Christ. It's not just I'm a spiritual person and so my thoughts are good, but because I have the thoughts of God from the apostles, the Holy Spirit has taught me through the scriptures. Now I think like Jesus because I think the content with the capability he's given me. It's both. I think it's both things. Okay. Um, So now 3.1 is what I really want to talk about. We're talking about spirituality and maturity. This is going to be a negative discussion about maturity, isn't it? Paul's talking to immature believers. Now, they think they're rich, but they're poor. They have, they're rich in spiritual gifts, and they think they're really flashy and special because they're speaking foreign languages, often without interpreters, so it's an abomination, or it's, 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 a, it's a misstep. It's not quite an abomination, but it's wrong how they're using their spiritual gifts. You can use spiritual gifts wrongly. Just turn on the TV, daytime, Christian TV, turn it on for a minute. Watch somebody say, if you really want it bad enough, God has to give it to you. And then turn that stuff off because the, these are gifted communicators. Most of them probably are believers. Well, many of them are probably believers. But they're, they're using their gift in a wrong way because they're communicators communicating false things. Health, wealth, gospel. Name it, claim it. There's one example. See, I'm a good example for you because I have a Learjet. And you would, if you were a real super spiritual Christian like me, you would be rich too. And that's the path of, of success. We'll pray the prayer of Jabez, whatever. Okay. Um, the spiritual gifts uh, are not in view in chapter 3, but spirituality and spiritual maturity is. And so this applies to everyone equally. So here's the Greek, and here's the, in detail. I, brethren, was not able to speak to you. What was his topic all through this passage? It's the things that God has that he's given us through revelation. It's the, it's the apostolic truth. That's what he has to speak to them. But he's not able to speak to them. Your key word for the next couple of verses is able. Dunameo. The Greek word behind English words like dynamic, dynamo, back before we, uh, we were very far along in electricity, we were making dynamos, um, Nobel and his dynamite. This is not explosive spiritual power. Um, this is about the ability. The word dunameo means to be able, to be capable of doing something. You can clear an entire interstate with enough dynamite. You're able. That's all... That's all that you get from the Greek of this word. Paul says, I was not able. 
how is Paul limited in what he can say? Because we're not called to teach our notes. He doesn't say, make disciples by teaching through your notes. It's by teaching them, by teaching all the nations to keep all that I've commanded you. That's the Great Commission. We're not called to teach, oh, I'm going to get through all my content. You know, if I don't get through all my slides, we're going to stay late, right? That's not the call. The call is to teach the people. And where they are is where he has to take them. And this is really always how it is. God always comes to where we are. This isn't where we're supposed to be. It's where we are. And he says, hey, come here. And then he brings us over where we need to go. But he has to come get us. This is accommodation. It doesn't mean that you go join in the wickedness that, you, that you're seeking the person. It doesn't mean you become an infant in your thinking. But it means that you have to go get them. So a mission, just think about a missionary. If you're going to go to a foreign mission field and you're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those people, then you're going to have to make an accommodation. You know what? You can't speak Elizabethan English to them. You're going to have to do it in their language. Right? But I like King James. Great. I do too. But you're going to have to put it from the Bible and what Paul said into the language they think in and speak in. And that's an accommodation. You go where they are. And then, you, you know, you bring them to King James. No. But, but, <laughs> but then you, 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 take, you take them where they are. And, you, and that's, that's accommodation. And so Paul, he goes and talks to them. He knows them. He knows where they're at. And he knows that the message he has that he really wants to give them, he can't. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing. Not Paul. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5, you're dull of hearing. I want to give you solid food, but I can't. I have to give you baby food. Same kind of idea in Hebrews chapter 5. You should all be teachers by now, but you're not. You're babies. Not First Peter 2. Peter's saying all y'all, everybody needs to long like a newborn baby for the pure milk of the word. That's not about maturity. That's about how we relate to God. We need what he has for us. It needs to be our, our entire focus as a general principle of our lives. So anyway, my brethren wasn't able to speak to you as to spiritual, but as to fleshly or carnal. Older translations say carnal here, and that's a good translation if you know what it means. It's really Latin. I love, I love the language games we play. Like pastor. Oh, I'm so glad that you think of me as your pastor and just keep on doing that. But that word is Latin, and it means shepherd when you bring it into English. So that's, I mean, just for example, carne. We all know what carne is. It's delightful. It's meat. Did you know carnal means meat? Carne. Chili con carne. Down in Texas, we just call it chili. But the people further south call it chili con carne. And they know because they invented it, I guess. What is carne? It means meat. Carnivore. What he's saying is that you are conducting yourselves like people of flesh. Now that language of flesh is throughout the Apostle Paul a reference to the sin tendency that we struggle with. It's to go to Romans 7, the problem of the flesh, and you're acting like people of flesh. Well, I like the word carnal because it becomes a categorical term, but um, I want you to notice right here the contrast. Let's compare and contrast. What you should be is able to get the really good dinner that I want to serve you, but you'd have to be spiritual to receive that. You got to have adult teeth to eat this adult steak. But you can't 
but I had to speak to you as carnal. The contrast is with maturity. Spiritual versus carnal. I'm sorry, with spiritual versus carnal. So he does set up that contrast, and I've been taught a lot that spiritual versus carnal means the believer regardless of maturity level. Well, keep watching when we get to verse 2 because he's going to say that, um, or actually the end of verse, verse 1, as to babies in Christ. That's the contrast I'm trying to point out. Spiritual men, carnal, who are babies in Christ. Okay, so is it possible for me as I grow spiritually and attain some level of maturity, is it possible for me to function as an unbeliever, as a selfish person? Am I able to slide into old patterns and submit myself to the sin nature, as Paul says in Romans 6? Is it possible? Yeah. Don't, don't hold a special conference, a special meeting for the church on Pastor Dave's fitness because he can be sinful, right? But the point is, we all do. We all can. We, we get, I think the easiest way is we start looking at ourselves. And we curve in on ourselves, and then all of a sudden, we're not thinking about God or anything He wants, and it's easy. And, and you could be a Christian walking in the Word and in a constant life of prayer for 30 years, and find yourself so fixated on yourself that you can't think spiritual thoughts. You're thinking like a newborn baby in Christ. You're not really engaged. And I think that that's true. But I want to point out that that is descriptive of a maturity issue. It's a maturity issue as to babies in Christ. He puts the two things together. The person that's acting out of the sin nature, carnal, who is also a baby in Christ. This also means that true conversion, true reborn-again people who are born and therefore babies in Christ are still little sinners. They're carnal. Duh. Oh, that wasn't my experience. When I came to Christ, I, I changed. Hey, you came to some conclusions and God did some work in you that was long overdue for sure, but give it some time and watch yourself. We still think it's about us. We still say, yeah, I know God says, but I want. We still, and it's, it's still a constant battle. Never, in other words, never think you stand unless you fall. And so this is the part that always arrests me, that when he says babies in Christ, after saying carnal as opposed to spiritual. So there's a maturity component here. And I, I don't take it that you mature, more mature, seasoned Christians, I'm not taking it that you can't uh, that you're, that you're just immediately carnal. I'm saying that in the power of the sin nature, when you are not submitting to the work of the Spirit in you, you can act just like a newborn baby in Christ, and it's nasty. And so um, it's not like Paul has to dissolve the church. Well, they can't have any elders here because the Corinthians are all acting like babies. They all need to, to take some note and wake up and get with the program. So now... What he, had, what he did, I couldn't, I couldn't let's, let's read it again. I, brother, was not able to speak to you as to spiritual, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not food or solid food, we would understand in comparison to galactose, to milk. For you were not yet able. Remember, I wasn't able to teach you. You weren't able to receive it. That explains why he wasn't able to teach them the thing he wanted to teach them. It doesn't mean that he didn't have it to give. It means that he knew they couldn't get it. So he's thinking about who his audience is. He's concerned for them. See, what's interesting about that camera right there is I don't know who's 
watching. I don't know who's getting what. But I know all of you. I know enough about all of you to know that I'm hitting everybody at some point with what I'm saying. I know that. I don't know what all you're getting. I can't know that. But I, and I know that not everybody's getting everything. If we did that, we would just sing Jesus Loves Me at some point. Because not everybody's at the same place. And so we just have to, right? Like I know you heard one thing I said. Because I said, hey, listen, I've got to say something to you. The point is that, watch this, I was not able to teach you the thing I wanted. You weren't able to receive it. It's a team thing. It's both parties. Okay? Isn't that interesting? I have a friend that says, uh, I see when you downshift in the, in the teaching. You're, you're, you're going on something, and then you, you circle back and pick everybody up that you think didn't get it the first time. And I'm, I'm there waiting, like, like hope we get back to that point, because was, I was enjoying that. We had to start over. And um, I'm always like, wow, I don't know when I do that. But okay. So, um, but you, <laughs> you know when I do it. Okay, you're not able, he says, but indeed, you're still not able now. Same word again, you're not able, dunameo. I'm not able to teach you because you're not able to receive it. And you weren't when I came before. And still, right now, you're not able. And now we put a time marker. This is the next thing I want you to focus on. We looked at the word able. Now we're looking at the word yet, still. It's time. How do we get spiritual maturity? How do you grow spiritually there's no shortcut. It's a day-by-day walk by the Spirit and the Word of God. Are you growing spiritually? I promise it's only because you're walking day-by-day by the Spirit and the Word of God. Are you not growing spiritually? I know what's wrong. I know what's missing. We're not walking day-by-day by the Spirit's power in the Word of God. That's really, it, it, really, pastor, just read the Bible and pray. I don't mean cursorily read it. I mean meditate on it day and night so that your roots sink down and your tree firmly planted like in Psalm 1. But he says, you people should know better by now. You're still not able to receive these things. I thought you would have grown your, your, your steak chops in by now. We could have had some good Bible classes. But I can't. I've still got to go back to Jesus loves you, I, which is profound. Don't misunderstand. The milk is nourishing. But it's not the meat. There's a difference. See? And today, I think working through what Paul says is where the meat is. And it's not popular. Should be. We really should talk this up. Can you believe what Paul said here about the riches of the word of God he gave us? Verse 3. For you are still fleshly. He keeps saying this time marker. For when there is among you jealousy and strife and dissension, are you not fleshly, acting like your sin nature? And according to man, like an unbeliever, are you not walking? So he has two things he describes them as. They're fleshly, carnal, acting like out of their sin nature, and therefore walking according to the principles, standards, attitudes of the world, of the unbelieving world. You're walking according to man is what that means. Walking like the world, like um, an unbeliever. So I've always heard people say, you know so-and-so is a believer by how they act. But when I read the scriptures, I see Paul say, I see these awful, satanic, sinful things you're doing in the church. And I know you believers are carnal. That insight started Dallas Seminary. That insight is what 
angered all the reform people at Lewis Spirit Chafer and he that is spiritual. That, that particular insight, that the Christian, like the Corinthian Christian, can act like an unbeliever. But you know what? Let's don't pretend like we don't. Let's don't pretend like I or you don't think like the world when we're not thinking God's thoughts after him. We have this idea that because we're born again and regenerate, that that settles it. But that's just a bad conflation of many details of Scripture into one thing and trying to, to oversimplify what God lets be delightfully complicated. Should our spiritual lives be less complex than our biological lives? You're born and then you're there. You're born again, you're done. Fully, fully mature. Well, no, no, we're not saying that. Well, then let's don't say that. Because there is a point when you first believe in Christ, you are born again by the Spirit of God to new life. But that baby has to grow up. And that growth process is what we're talking about here. And part of that involves, at times, you acting like a rank heathen. Stop it. Grow up. That's what he's saying. Wait, wait. I mean, 1 Corinthians curls your hair. You get to 1 Corinthians 5. The, the interpretive options, none of them are good for what he's talking about. In 1 Corinthians 5. And it turns out that that's your go-to passage for just dealing with regular old fornication. But he doesn't start with just general fornication. He starts with you have your father's wife. And the, the unbelievers don't even do that. These are, these are people, he says, are washed and bothered by the blood of Christ and believers. And so I think I can tell when a Christian's acting like an unbeliever. And I don't doubt that they're a Christian. I doubt that they're walking by the Spirit in the moment. And I hope you know this about yourself. Are you not fleshly, he asks them. And according to man, are you not walking? That's very sobering to think that way about the Christian life as a, as an, as a possibility. But I see an American Christendom that looks very much like that to me. Um, and it must, it must look this way when we're not going to pay attention to the Scriptures. Finally, in verse 4, for when, again, when, still, yet, when, when someone says on the one hand, I'm of Paul, but on the other hand, another says, I'm of Apollos, then are you not carnal? I know by your jealousies, your strife, your dissensions, the corporate sins that you're doing this, the corporate dis- disaster that is your church family tells me you're acting like unbelievers, tells me you're carnal. And then the specific way this is manifesting where you're saying you're dividing over the various pastors that have ministered to you. That that is plenty of proof that you're carnal. Now there's so many things that we've talked about, so many concepts have been developed and discussed here. Spirituality versus carnality. Carnality versus, um, versus walking as a baby in Christ, so immaturity. Spiritual maturity versus carnality. Like all these things are, are in Paul's discussion. And so one of the great things that stands out to me, because what he's doing is correcting them, is they should be more mature by now. Now think about it. Bless your hearts. I ha- I'm your pastor. You're stuck with me. Y'all went for like three years for a pastor search, and you got me. I'm so sorry for you. And I know you're, I'm trying to fish for comments. Like, no, pastor, we love you. But no, seriously, you got me, and I'm okay at Greek, and I'm a little better at Hebrew, relatively speaking, but I'm okay. I'm kind of a hack, but I'm okay. 
I'm working on it. I'm trying to do better in what I'm doing. Always trying to sharpen the saw and all that. These people had Paul, Saul of Tarsus, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, as their primary instructor in the things of God. Hi, Paul, how would we set up a, I don't know, a basic theology course for Christians to kind of disciple up and understand? Well, let me tell you, I'm going to write this letter to Rome, and that'll be probably the best way to kind of summarize it. But I'm going to teach it and teach it and teach it and teach it. And you know what? I'm also going to tell people the whole eschatology, and then I'm going to reference it a couple of times in Thessalonian epistles, and a little bit here in Romans, and a little bit here in the Corinthian epistles. But I'm going to teach constantly. I mean, can you imagine having Paul as your pastor? That's like, that's overkill, isn't it? Right? That's, um, that's like having, who's a good pitcher right now? When I heard it, it was a good illustration, Oral Hershizer. It's like having, having Hershizer pitch in your little league game. You know, I mean, nobody's hitting that guy. Sixth grade. Just try not to have PTSD with how fast that ball's moving when you're a little kid, right? I'd still feel that way, by the way. But Paul is the pastor, and they've rejected him. Now, see, 2,000 years later, we're like, what are they doing? Because we've benefited from generations of reflection and theological conception on what Paul is saying. And we, and we, but let's don't get cocky. We would have probably been the same way. Well, Paul doesn't look very good on TV. He's not really, have you heard his voice? I mean, can you, can you be more nasally? Ah, I can't stand to look at him. He's always blinking. Something wrong with his eyes. I just can't stand that guy. And his calves. What's wrong with his calves? They're huge. Well, he's walked all over Europe. He's been through the entire Roman Empire on foot. I like that image. But he's got the nastiest feet in the Roman world from all that sandal marching. Ah, disgusting. Except that he's got the things that I hasn't seen, near hasn't heard, and haven't entered into the heart of man for us who love him, for who love God. And so let's let's uh, summarize this passage by looking at it. And, and and I just want you to hear the whole thing. And, and that's what you really need to leave with as a, as a sense of what the word is saying in this paragraph. In verse one, I, brethren, was not able to speak to you as a spiritual men, but as to fleshly, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not yet able. And indeed, you're still not even able now. He's got two different Greek particles to emphasize the time. There should have been some growth, but they can't receive the awesome meal Paul wants to serve them. For you're still fleshly. For when, even when he sets up his logical comparisons, then there are going to be two that are parallel. It's really cool when you look at it. Zoom out like this and look at it. He says when. It's an if statement, but it's a, he says it by using the word when. When there is among you jealousy and strife and dissension, then are you not fleshly? You've you got to put the word then in for English purposes the way we set up syllogisms, but that's what he's doing. Are you not fleshly? And according to man, are you not walking? For when someone says, on the one hand, I'm of Paul, and but another, another, on the other hand, another says, I'm of Apollos, then are you not fleshly? See, look at that. It's two panels, and it's the exact same structure. Isn't that cool? Did you see that when you read it? When and then and when? No, you didn't, because we're giving it a cursory reading to get some context and perspective. Please, read through your Bibles in a year. Do it in six months. Do it in three months. But, you know, keep working and paying the bills and stuff. I'm just saying, like, read your Bible, but understand that when you spend time meditating on it, um, it's a little bit of a different process. So when there's among you jealousy, then you're fleshly. When someone says, let's divide over pastors, then you're fleshly. 
It's really cool the way Paul harangues them with this parallel structure. I was excited when I saw that. Did you see that before? I never saw that before. I thought that was pretty cool. All right. This is one of my favorite uh, living theologians right there. Anybody know that guy? That's Bruce Baker uh, down in Brenham, Texas. Washington County Bible Church, I believe is the name of his church. He's a PhD in Bible X, I believe, Bible Exposition from Baptist Bible Seminary, which is a pretty great place to go get a PhD if you're a pastor. <laughs> but um, Bruce wrote a book called uh, Spiritual Maturity. As, in 2009, he published it as an update to uh, Chaffer's He That Is Spiritual. So what I want to do for my dissertation uh, will largely uh, advance or work with what he said and um, bring some more theology from other people in in a scholarly way. Uh, but he, it's a great book. It's called Spiritual Maturity, and the subtitle is The Road to Neverland. And every chapter, he uses an illustration to open it from Lewis Carroll's um, Alice in Wonderland or Through the Looking Glass. And um, Lewis Carroll nerds are, no, he's a real mathematician and clever and, and all that, and it's not really about um, white rabbits and stuff. But anyway, I think he has a great description in his book on the carnality of 1 Corinthians 3. And if this doesn't nail you... Um, you're probably, <laughs> you're probably um, either just really looking at yourself and you're struggling in other areas or you're not really looking at yourself. And so <clears throat> I think this is, uh, this is what happens in churches. This is what happens to us. We start looking at ourselves and we start getting indignant. And this is what's going on at Corinth. So watch it. The flesh tells us that we must fight to place ourselves and by extension our ideas first. What we think is what matters most our position our rights must be protected at all costs so there are some slights that we just won't take some positions that are beneath us consequently we become jealous of those who receive more attention or make decisions with which we disagree why do they think who do they think they are anyway then we fight because such quote injustices must be opposed our way is correct and others must see or be made to see that after all, you can't just lie there and be a doormat or people will walk all over you. Or we fall under the influence of an eloquent leader, adopt his agenda as our own, and label outsiders as not in our camp. Division and controversy break out among the believers. If we are fortunate, in the end, we see that we're acting no differently than mere men. Now see, I know of... This is almost the norm for church dissension and little Baptist churches throughout the Bible Belt and throughout the Fruited Plain. I mean, if, if the Brethren movement is known for anything besides the pre-trib rapture and Darbyism, it's for church splits from the very beginning. Independent, fundamentalist, whatever you want to call it, always have these problems. And it's, it's going on in Corinth. I've seen it all my life. I've seen it all my life from people that should know better. But what happened? We stopped looking at the Lord Jesus. We started looking at people. We especially started looking at ourselves. And so I, th- I, think, he's, I think he's got a really good description of what Paul's talking about. But, but I, I see this in myself when I'm not adjusted properly. I think this explains really, this is just the human condition. This side of the fall, we think it's right because it's us. It explains racism. It explains Pretty much everything that's, that, that goes wrong between people explains, it explains the rejection of real womanhood in favor of some androgynous substitute. Well, I feel this way, so this is how it has to be. It, 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 basically, we're just in rebellion against God. And so, um, big insights for me on this passage about 
spirituality and carnality. The big one is that it's a maturity issue. It's a maturity issue. And Paul is disappointed with these people that he's taught for so long that they can't take what he's already given them and and build on it. He's got to go back and build that same stuff again. I think that's pretty much where American Christendom is. So um, have you ever worked through some detail on Paul? It's worth doing, but it's, it's a rare thing. It sounds starting to sound radical. Why would anyone do this? Well, we'll do it because eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. And that's talking about apostolic truth, the doctrines that the apostles gave us and really Jesus gave us through them. Let's pray. Father, we hear from Paul as we apply the situation in Corinth to our own lives, individually, corporately, we all need to grow up. It's a command of Scripture, and the outcomes when we won't are horrible. The divisions, the denial of the gospel by our practice, the loss of opportunity to glorify you. Father, I ask for an eternal perspective for each of us and the struggles that we're facing. Help us see that the like just like in Corinth, in the first century, the challenges of this life, the rejection of the world, the trials that we have been called to face, these make us look radical when we trust you, when we do it your way. But you glorify yourself when you make us capable. Father, pray for our church. Very easy for Paul to say to the Corinthians, I'm not able to teach you what I want to teach you because you're not able to receive it. Father, let this ministry of teaching from all that teach here be exactly um, where what I can share is what this church needs, what the other teachers have ready, what you've put in their heart through your word is what the people need to hear. Don't let us slack off. Don't let the teaching side slack off. Don't let the listening side slack off. Let us grow and meet you and receive the riches that you've promised us. Father, for your glory, for your, uh, your namesake, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.